Welcome to the Man of the First podcast. I am Chris Ryan along with Peter Evers. It is time for our Ask the CEO <laughs> edition of the podcast and some ma- major topics today to get to uh, from folks in the Bamsey community. The first one is in regard to the economy and um, folks are wondering what Bamsey could potentially do uh, to help those that are struggling with uh, various inflationary costs. We'll start there and then kind of delve into whether this means you know uh, various essential services having to do more in the face of um, folks struggling, particularly when it comes to uh, food insecurity. But let's start with uh, that one and welcome in the CEO of Bamsey, Peter Evers. Thanks, Chris. How are you doing? I am well. Well, it's a good, I think this is one of those questions that is on everybody's mind. Um, And it isn't just the people we serve, it's uh, our employees as well. You know, when I think about um, what Bamsey did a year ago, which was increase uh, many uh, direct care um, and nursing salaries are around about 20 percent, um, you know, which was, a, I think, a bold move by the organization. As I go around visiting uh, different programs and homes, um, I get the same thing, um, the same message. And it's absolutely true that any of those advances that have been made in the last year have been severely diminished by uh, energy costs, by, uh, I was going to say hyperinflation, but, you know, it isn't hyperinflation, but, you know, when we're up around, you know, 10 or 11%, which we have been for the last year or so, uh, people begin to feel that in their pockets. The war in Ukraine, of course, has added to the uncertainty around energy. Um, and, you know, I got a, uh, a text from my uh, from my son, actually, who works in this field the other day saying that, he was expecting a um, an 85% increase in his oil cost um, in his uh, small flat in Quincy, um, and the, asking the question, you know, how am I going to be able to afford to do that? Um, all of those pressures uh, seem to be coming down on so many people at the moment, and it is um, not in any way ideal. I think the government has been trying to respond to that. Uh, a great example of that would be uh, the release of uh, uh, gas reserves by the U.S. government, uh, which actually did bring, I noticed that that did bring the price of uh, of gas and oil down significantly. Um, and uh, and then, of course, the OPEC uh, 12 or whatever make a decision that uh, they didn't like the fact that there was so much de- um, uh, less demand that they put uh, a restriction on. Uh, extracting uh, oil again. So we're really the subject to the vagaries of so many people. And um, I know that the Amer- that the US government is really pushing uh, against that, but um, people have probably seen those increases in oil prices again over the past couple of weeks. So it's we're in a very difficult period of time. And many of the people we serve are living pretty hand to mouth at the most uh, at the moment uh, imagine if you're on disability benefits for instance um you know you're receiving in the region of um uh six to eight hundred dollars a month um and you have mouths to feed in the family um it's just really difficult and that's why it's really important for us as an agency to be on the lookout for more and more grants you know i think about south shore foundation for instance that we've been that they've been wonderful <clears throat> and we're making the, those applications again both for our dawn davis program and um and for the the helpline 
But demand always outstrips supply. And in, in times like this, the food banks are having real difficulty getting enough food as well. Uh, so we'll continue to really push to raise money, uh, look at different foundations. And uh, as you heard last week, or may have heard last week, when Sarah Gunnett, who is our new VP of uh, development, uh, was saying we've really got to rattle the cages here and make sure that uh, everybody, uh, all of these foundations are asked uh, to participate in getting people through this really difficult period. So take us through kind of from a process perspective, what happens when, whether it's an employee or somebody in the community, you know, will call the helpline and they'll ask about, um, you know, talk about their food insecurity or uh, ask for assistance in regard to their electric costs or home heating oil. Um, what is that process like? And how do you go about trying to get help for those folks? Yeah, well, you know, we're really invested in making this a real low barrier um, request. Um, so there's no means testing or anything. Of course, we are uh, constrained by uh, tight by, by tight uh, resources. Um, but, you know, if people need help with their with their energy bills, we'll help them with it. We don't want to see <clears throat> any proof of anything. We realize that people, it's, it's a big deal to come and ask for help. Um, and so we'll, uh, we'll help people out as much as we can. Uh, it really is a phone call um, and, and a request. Um, and, you know, we've had uh, in the past Curtis Felix on the show who's, who talks about how do you get resources into people's hands as quickly as possible. Because, you know, if you're not able to heat your house, if you're not able to pay your rent, um, you know, then everything else follows suit in terms of, you know, really bad outcomes. And I do suspect, Chris, that we'll be getting more and more of those requests because if you're living on the borderline and you're struggling to pay your rent and your energy and your uh, food bills every month, and you look at those increases of 80 to 100 percent, which they're talking about in in oil, it's unfathomable to work out how people are going to do that without the kind of help that we can give them. So from an operations perspective, how do you go about addressing the inflated costs from your operations in that obviously your electric costs are going up, your um, transportation costs are going up with the price of of gas, heating oil is going up. Um, and you know, very often for profits, restaurants or a, a supermarket, they will pass along that price to consumers. You don't have that option. So how does an organization like Bamzi go about trying to maintain the same level of service, the same level of employment, when the opportunities don't really exist for you to pass along the cost to anyone else? Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful question. I don't really have a particularly good answer, but I will say that uh, we do have contracts that we negotiate every couple of years, every year in some cases, um, and we try to factor in um, increases in occupancy, as we call it. Um, we have budgeted for that as much as we can this year by saying, look, you know, instead of it costing $600 um, a month to heat one of our duplexes, you know, we'll budget for a thousand. Will that be enough? I don't know. Um, but um, we th that's what we'll do. We'll also make decisions, Chris, about not spending money on some of the things that we we're planning for the year. So there may be some capital expenditures that we are planning for 2023 that we're just not going to be able to do. Obviously, we'll do things that are related to life safety, but we might have to put off some of the more um, 
you know, visually uh, enhancing um, uh, changes that we have to make. And that I have to say that over the past two years of COVID, some of our houses have really taken a beating because folks are in the houses every day. They haven't been to their day hubs. Um, and, you know, we're recovering from that. And of course, the consequences of, of the expenditures through COVID uh, mean that we're, we're, we're now dealing with the inflation that sort of came after that. Um, you know, it's a question of being as prudent with your uh, resources as possible uh, and making sure that you take care of people as, as best you can within those uh, parameters, but also not um, not uh, compromising health and safety of the people we serve or our staff in any way. That comes first. Another person writes, immigration has been in the news recently. Does BAMSI do anything to help asylum seekers? Um, we don't have a program. There are um, there are organizations who have uh, relationships with the um, with the government. Lutheran Family Service might be one that people have heard a lot about. Ascentia, Ascentria, they're called now, um, and their job really is to um, sort of bring that family, bring that individual into the community with some financial help, very short term, very short term medical Medicaid services. Um, and then some counseling around jobs and English as a second language. Um, we, the way that we get involved is that we will deal in our clinics and in our clinical programs, uh, oftentimes uh, with families, oftentimes kids who are presenting with real post-traumatic stress um, that they experienced um, the, the, the trauma um, you know, when they were in their country of origin or they were coming to this country. Remember, it is a very harrowing experience to leave uh, the country that you love because um, things are dangerous. And uh, oftentimes, the majority of the times, I would say those kids are really going to be affected uh, by that. Um, and we can offer help there. Um, and, you know, lots of the people that we provide uh, services to um, oftentimes uh, don't uh, are, are not fully um, uh, that they haven't been through the full immigration process or, or are waiting to do that. And of course, we provided uh, we provide services to people who don't have their documents. Um, and obviously, we will continue to do that. We have many people, well, some people in our residential programs who are in this country who don't have citizenship who need our services. And oftentimes we have to take that one on the chin because there aren't any benefits available for those folks. But you know, what are you going to do? I mean, you have to see the need for what it is. You just have to provide the services that are right for that human being. What is it like, you know, do you think for those individuals and for you know the organization as a whole that many of these types of services, uh, many of the uh, discussions take place are very political and talk about individuals very much in the abstract as opposed to you know the human being involved and what is that like you know for you when there's a, a political debate about whether you should be offering uh, these types of services but you're trying to obviously you know treat the the human being and help the human being that is right there at your doorstep yeah you know it's funny it reminds me chris of that sort of um of the Hippocratic Oath in a way, you know that, and not that we're all physicians, but the, but the oath for physicians is that you'll treat the disease and you'll treat the person regardless of, you know, what their beliefs are, uh, and you'll 
you'll do no harm. And and I think we're in the same boat here. We see the need of the individual um, and really are not concerned with the immigration status of uh, of an individual. Why should we be when we're a treatment uh, or a service delivery system uh, and we're based on, you know, I mean, even this uh, podcast is called Humanity First. I think that speaks to what we have to do when we have somebody in front of us. Um, it, it really is sad sometimes when you hear people say, why are we providing services to people who aren't citizens? I mean, they're human beings. And, you know, if you start there, then you begin to have a little bit compa- a bit of compassion for that. I will say that, and I'm not going to be political, but it immigration has been made a political football. Uh, and oftentimes all of that is based on fear. It's based on loathing. It's based on some polit- politicians trying to create unrest um, and um, uh, and you can often prey on, on people's fears around that. I don't think we as a leadership team or anyone in this organization is particularly interested in that. We're interested in making sure that we provide services to get people where they need to be so that they can live their lives. Two more topics. I know you got to uh, to run today. Um, first, uh, first of the remaining two topics is on COVID, and what are you sensing in terms of where things head going into the fall and winter months? We had heard that this is going to be a, a very challenging time period. Um, seems that you know, anecdotally, some folks are are getting COVID, but obviously the degree of concern and protocol. Um, as compared to a year ago, is remarkably different. So what is your sense about not just COVID, but also flu and other contagion and how the organization is going to go about addressing uh, that over the next several months? Your question is incredibly prescient, Chris, because the reason I have to leave a little early today is to go and get my flu shot and my uh, fifth booster shot, which we're making available, of course, through uh, BAMSI and and um, part of the reason why I'm optimistic about the next six months is that we made the decision earlier on this year that we would become a fully vaccinated organization. And remember, the reason we did that was because we the first thing that we have to think of is how do we protect the vulnerable uh, people, especially medically vulnerable people that we serve. Um, I think that has set us has stood us in wonderful stead for dealing with the next wave or the last wave. So if you go back to the last wave, and we're in the middle of it, by the way, still, um, we are still getting positives uh, from people, uh, from staff and from persons served. We're still going into um, emergency operating procedures. Uh, But the fact is that we have a fully vaccinated community, with a few exceptions of those people with um, exemptions, um, these symptoms are quick um, and, you know, people are getting poorly, um, but it isn't life threatening in the way that it was before. Um, it is much more uh, manageable. I think this is the this is what we have to deal with. Chris. We deal with flu se- season in the same way. We encourage people to get vaccinations and there's a high likelihood that that vaccine will match the virulence of the of, of the flu. Uh, so I would encourage everybody to do both, one in each arm, uh, and um, and we'll just see what happens and what's in front of us. We continue to have positives on a daily basis, but we're managing around them. Final question is on the pharmacy. Is the pharmacy open yet? Uh, and if not, when will it be open and who will it serve? 
A wonderful question. Thank you for asking that, whoever did. Um, the pharmacy is due to open the first week in November um, or the last week in October. We're very, very close. We've had some supply line issues for refrigerators and for special um, cabinetry, which we've uh, managed to get in place. I think the final touches have been put on um, on the building on Pleasant Street. Uh, we have hired a pharmacist who is becoming oriented to the organization. Um, and we will begin by servicing the local residential homes in the Brockton area, Brockton, Avon, Stoughton, around there. And then we intend to expand out to those further reaches. We will be doing delivery to those homes. <clears throat> and, you know, in the future, we hope to open up to staff uh, and other agencies um, who don't necessarily have a good relationship with the pharmacies that they're dealing with at the moment. So we're really excited about this. It's it, There is a lot of chatter in the agency about this is something very new. Um, and, uh, you know, we're working with some wonderful consultants who are really helping out. So I think this is going to really change the quality of the pharmacy care that we, we provide to our to our person serve. Peter, as always, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. All right, you've been listening to the Humanity First podcast.